The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has the light shined. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. My friends, this is the good news of Epiphany, the feast of lights, the night that we celebrate, the coming of the Magi, the fulfillment of the whole witness of the scriptures that the word of God, the salvation of God, would come not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, and that that Messiah would indeed be the light of the world. But unfortunately, in our country, for whatever reason, Epiphany doesn't get much respect. It's like the old Rodney Dangerfield skits. Epiphany just doesn't get much respect. And we go on about our business as if nothing important really has happened. But I would commend to you sometime, if you can ever go into a Latin country during the time of Epiphany, you will see that the world stops. There are parades and processions and church services and special food and parties and all manner of celebration because Epiphany, from the earliest days of the church, has been one of the great feasts of the Christian life. And as we think about Epiphany tonight, I want us to consider why that is so. It is a season that gets lost in the shuffle in our country among the New Year's resolutions to finally try the keto diet or to go to the gym or to finally start getting up early and do all those things on your to-do list. In the midst of all that, we lose Epiphany. We lose our focus on the light because we are looking down. We are now looking up. And I love the opening of that Isaiah lesson that we had tonight. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the good news of Epiphany is that light has come in Jesus Christ. And as you look in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospel of John and in the book of Isaiah, there's this back and forth between darkness and light. Darkness and light. And the beauty of John's Gospel about the Incarnation is he says the light, the light of Christ shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand about this, but in our world today, how often do you feel that the darkness has overcome the light? That we are surrounded by darkness and we are tempted to despair. But the good news of Epiphany is that we are to arise and shine for our light has come. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And in this great epiphany gospel that we see uh, tonight, it is amazing that when we look in Matthew's gospel, the first people to recognize who Jesus is are these Gentile sages from another country. Many people believe that they were perhaps Zoroastrians, that they're most likely from Persia. Um, if I could do mind meld with you, I would get you to consider all of the things Alan Runyon taught here in our adult forum about the Star of Jacob. I would commend that to you. It's on our website. It's fascinating. But when you listen to the story, it is remarkable because these Gentiles, who are not the people who are the chosen people of God, they have figured out that a Messiah is coming. And we see they are coming into Jerusalem after this long journey across the desert. 
and they are impressive enough that they can walk in and get an audience with the king, which is not something that is normal by any stretch of the imagination. And they go in because there's been this cataclysmic event declared in the heavens that this king has been born. And they go into Herod fully expecting that he is going to have the perfect answer to their question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have come to worship him. <laughs> the funny thing is Herod is like, say what? And part of the reason for that is Herod just spent a lot of his hard-earned, probably illegally earned, filthy lucre on bribing the Roman Senate to name him an official title. And guess what that title was? King of the Jews. So he was not just super happy that these people had appeared saying, where is the one who was born to be king of the Jews? And the interesting thing is that Herod and his court of all people should have known. Even without the revelation of the star, they should have known because of the prophecies in scripture. And when they finally take the trouble to go look up, when Herod says, oh, is this happening? And he asks his sages, that are the Jewish sages, they immediately come back with the answer about where this is supposed to happen. And Herod sends the wise men, and then he hopes to, as you know if you've read the rest of the story, um, to extinguish this threat to his power. But the wise men, one of the things we miss that's so glorious in this story, they come expecting a king. They come expecting a king that the royal court in Jerusalem will know about, probably a king who is in a palace surrounded by riches. And they're led by the star to this humble abode where is this, this baby and the peasant family. And yet, instead of turning up their noses and saying, this is not what we signed up for, how could this have happened? We must have gotten our GPS wrong. Instead of that, they bow down and worship the baby Jesus. And it is a profound testimony of the power of who Jesus is that even in that moment in his infancy, he could command the respect of the kings of the world. And God warns them in a dream and they go back by another way. And as we think about this gospel tonight, I want us to think about the choice that Epiphany presents us. It gives us a choice of how are we going to respond to this news that the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Upon them that live in the shadow of death, this light has dawned. That the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And we see these two reactions tonight. First, the reaction of the wise men. The wise men who are in their very comfortable aristocratic life in Persia, one of the great civilizations of the world, who are so moved by what they see in the heavens that they choose to give up their comforts and take this arduous and expensive and long journey across the desert to worship this king who's not even part of their own religion. That attitude of the wise men is captured beautifully in a poem by T.S. Eliot that's called The Journey of the Magi, 
It was written in 1927, soon after Eliot's conversion to Christianity. And I would love to read all 43 lines, but I'm not going to do that. And I want to read just a little bit of it to give you a taste, because he understands about the sacrifice of the Magi. Listen to his words. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey. And such a long journey, the ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. And the camels galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on the slopes, the terraces, and the silken girls bringing sherbet. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears saying that this was folly. And arriving at evening, not a moment too soon, finding the place it was, you might say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago, I remember, and I would do it again, but set down, this set down, this, were we led all that way for a birth or a death? We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease there in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. It is a poem that is worthy of your contemplation, but what he's getting at is that for these magi, nothing was the way they expected it to be, except perhaps the arduous journey. They did not find someone in a royal palace. They did not find the next emperor of the world. They found this baby who was the incarnate son of God. And there was something so profound in that encounter that it changed the rest of their lives forever. The old dispensation, all the things that they had enjoyed, the people clutching their alien gods were no longer enough because they knew that Christ Jesus the Son of God was the incarnate one, the one who was the maker of the universe, come to earth. So the question for us is, are we going to be like those wise men, where we want to choose to follow, to follow wherever God leads us, to look at whatever his light reveals, and to embrace it as God's will for us? or? Are we going to be like Herod? Herod is one of the most awful rulers in the history of the world. If you remember studying the Borgias when you were studying European history, um, the ones who killed and poisoned all of their own family, the Borgias have got nothing on the Herods. The Herods are one of the most decadent and evil dynasties in the world. And Herod is sitting pretty um, in cozy with the Romans, the occupying power, and he is not interested in the light. He is interested in preserving his status quo. He's got it all figured out, and as soon as he hears about this threat, he's figured out how to deal with that too, and he sends out that horrible decree to slaughter every baby boy under the age of two in that whole area because he is determined to hold on to his way it's my way or the highway in Herod's view. And the question for us is how often are we like that, whether we're willing to admit it or not? 
This whole idea of light and darkness reminds me of an old story that some of y'all have heard before, but when I was in college, I was on a traveling musical show with a collegiate theater group where we were doing You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and I was the piano player, which also meant that I played the kazoo and a few other little things. But we had gone on tour and we were playing in Florence, South Carolina in the little theater, and we had sold out the theater, which we were very excited about, and so I had gone up um, to prepare the orchestra pit, make sure everything was good because there was a long overture beforehand where I had to have the kazoo and a whistle in addition to the piano. And so everything was great. I went back, got a little snack. The house lights went down. It's pitch dark. You can hear sort of the whispering as we're getting ready for the show. And I had made sure I knew exactly where the piano was. It was a straight path from the door, from the uh, theater into the orchestra pit. So I opened the door, shut the door behind me in the pitch darkness, and strode forward to the piano, and immediately ran into a stack of 29 music stands that someone had moved without my knowledge. And it was a concrete orchestra pit. So the first one went down, bang! And then the next one, bang, 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 bang. And then finally, I fell on top of all of them. <laughs> and after that, I crawled in the darkness up to the piano, not terribly bruised except in ego, and turned on the little piano light, at which point they all applauded. <laughs> but that is very much what it's like when we try to live by our own wisdom. We think we have it all figured out, we've made our plans, we've checked them twice, and we think that we can control that this world is our oyster, we know what we're doing, and God can sort of stay up in his heaven and leave us alone. But the lesson of Epiphany is that that way is the way of death. Herod's life did not end well. And when you look at what happened to him, it is a reminder that when we choose our own way and we choose to ignore the light that God sends into the world at Epiphany, we miss out on light and joy. I hope you noticed that little part in the gospel. I love this. It's one of those places where English is inadequate. And it says, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. In other words, there are not words strong enough to convey the joy that they had. And these are the Persian rich aristocratic wise men kneeling in this humble abode and they are overcome with joy because of what God has done in sending Christ. And so at this revelation of the light of the world, we who call on the name of Jesus Christ ought to be rejoicing with exceeding great joy. It is because of this revelation of the light to the Gentiles that all of us, unless you have Jewish ancestors, that's the only reason all of us are here, because that light and that word and that exceeding joy has spread from people to people across generations and centuries to reach us here in Charleston in 2022. So the glory of Epiphany is that in place of darkness, God gave us his son to be our light, not to be a map that shows us the way, but to be an incarnate God who walks at our side, the light who illuminates each next step we need to take, helping to guide us into the way of his kingdom. My prayer for all of us is that in this epiphany, we will choose 
to be like the wise men, to look up, to look to the word of God, to look to the prophecies, to look to the glory of the wonder of this incarnate light and follow him. As we close tonight, please bow your heads and listen to this prayer and make these words your own. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, may your light shine upon our way as once it guided the steps of the Magi, that we too may be led into your presence and worship you with exceeding joy. The child of Mary, the eternal word of the Father, the King of the nations, the Savior of all mankind, the one, the only, true light, to whom be glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen.